It's gorgeous out. Let's pop some dots. This is the Updog Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Beaton, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast. Uh, if this is your first one, uh, you've picked a good one for your maiden voyage as we have a stellar guest on. Uh, before we get there, though, let's do some quick introductions. My name is Tyler Beaton. I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined by my two esteemed co-hosts, the rooster assassin, Jeff Ludicky, and the Mississippi riverboat gambler himself, Matt Jeske. What's going on, fellas? We're doing good, man. Hey, we got a we got a nickname for you now. Me and Matt have been uh, texting back and forth here. Yeah, because since you came up with these today. these good <laughs> nicknames for us, so are you you ready for yours? Oh boy, let's go! All right, so it's it's the pimpin' ain't easy triple threat trainer. <laughs> oh gosh, that is. Let's let's dive into how do we come up with that? Well, your your dog Mac, right? He's a he's a dad times two now, correct or that three? Is correct. Yes. Yep. So you're basically Max Pimp, right? <laughs> and we all know pimpin' ain't easy, right? And then Matt, the, the triple threat thing came from Matt. So you got the obedience side, upland side, and waterfall side. Wow. There we go. Okay. The pimping right. easy, it, triple, tra- triple threat trainer. That's a hard one to say. Oh, my. Okay. All right. That is a mouthful. That's, um, yeah, that could be, uh, that could be clip worthy for social right there. That's good. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, with that out of the way, what are we drinking tonight, fellas? I got a new one. This this kind of belongs on the OKS Fisher podcast, actually. It's Eagle Park Brewing Company. It's called Fishing for Fishies. Okay. It's Pilsner. It's right out of Muskego, Matt, so right in your hometown. Yeah, I might have to swing by next week. Fishing for Fishies, Muskego, Wisconsin. There it is. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Matt Jeske, <clears throat> the Riverboat Gambler. Yeah, pretty boring today. I've got water, raging headache all day, so uh, gonna have to hydrate. That's that's fair. That's fair. I've got the uh, Crystal Light Fruit Punch right here in the old the old water <laughs> bottle. I'm living large again this week. Can I say? Um, all right, uh, we got that out of the way. So let's let's go ahead and introduce our guest. Uh, our guest this week is Matt Davis. The founder of final rise uh matt welcome to the podcast hey guys i appreciate you having me on i uh hope you guys don't come up with a nickname for me but uh <laughs> <laughs> so you can work on that we'll see so i appreciate the opportunity to join y'all perfect um i think when we when we talk like we want to talk about Final Rise. We want to talk about your company. We want to talk about your vests. But to get started, though, we just want to know like a little bit about you, your background. Where are you located? Like, how did you How did you get started in hunting, too? Yeah, man, I, I think it's all all pretty cohesive. I think uh, so. First off, I, I live in Utah. I live in a town called Heber City. We're about an hour ish 
south of Salt Lake, uh, 30 minutes south of Park City. Most people know where those two are located geographically. Um, Heber was once a small town, not so much. Uh, born and raised here, have not lived here for quite a while and moved back a year or two ago, actually. Actually bought the house that I grew up in, ironically enough, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Um, so here in Utah, shoot, my whole getting into hunting, you know, is as odd as it is. I've always had a love for animals. And I know a lot of times that's kind of a struggle for people to understand that people that are hunters also have a love and have compassion and a desire to help um, big game animals, upland, waterfowl, all those different things. Um, it's just always been a passion of mine. I mean, I was the kid, I remember we used to all growing up here in Utah, we've got a lot of really beautiful state parks. We've got Zions, we've got Bryce, we've got just a lot of really cool places to see. There's uh, pretty diverse uh, ecosystems kind of within the state. And so we used to travel for spring break. We had a big motorhome, right? And so all the kids would pile in the motorhome and we'd go and we'd visit all these little parks. And I was into photography and I was always the kid running around, you know, how there's like tame deer and like all these campgrounds and stuff. Like, dude, I would burn rolls, like just rolls of film, taking pictures of deer, like eating peanuts out of my hands and stuff. Like I just loved, I just loved that. Um, but hunting was kind of a, a slower thing for me. Well, not, not super slow. Um, you know, I, I, started getting out and hunting at a young age even before I could hunt and really how the door was open to me is my parents actually got divorced and I'd always had a passion for hunting and wanted to or I hadn't hunted but I had a passion for the animals I loved fishing I loved being outside and my dad who once upon a time you know hunted with somebody whatever it was just a natural opportunity for him to spend time with my brother and I and so we started bird hunting and just where we live in Heber city, there's a lot of grouse, uh, duskies and rough grouse. And there's just, there's a lot of birds here in general. And so just, that's what we started doing. It was just a way to be able to spend time with my dad. And I absolutely loved it. Right. I mean, I think I followed my dad and my brother around for two years at the time. This was really before there was really big push initiatives into getting you know really young youth involved and trying to get them to get the bug like i couldn't hunt upland until i was 14 years old which is silly to me because now if you can pass under safety in utah you'd be freaking six seven years old and go go hunt as long as you have um, an adult with you which is wonderful to see but that wasn't necessarily my experience but anyways got into bird hunting and uh, I grew up with labs. That's primarily what we had. So I grew up with flushing dogs and I just loved it. I just fell in love with it. That there was a natural uh, flow into obviously big game hunting. I, I, I'm still a huge big game hunter. I live out of a backpack multiple days a year, or multiple weeks a year, if I'm being super honest. Um, I hunt a lot, probably more than my wife would like me to do, but I do, I do it a lot. Um, just because I have so many different passions and different hobbies and things that I do. I mean, realistically, July is the only month of the year that I can't hunt something, which I'm is pretty impressive that. with our spring turkey, spring bear, um, hunting Idaho, different things like that. Like I'm right in the middle of everything. And then we start bow hunting big game in Utah in August. And then I can hunt chuckers until the middle of February. Um, and then March, I can be in California turkey hunting. So it's like, I, I'm, I get around, 
yeah that's awesome man <laughs> okay I, I i have to ask like how many days a year are you actually are you hunting i'm gonna be envious no matter what the answer is but i i gotta know that's a good question i don't know if i know the number um doesn't seem like he wants to uh say it <laughs> well it, it's interesting you know having our business right having final rise there's a lot of people that are like all you do is play and uh tyler you know as as an entrepreneur and a business owner it's like yeah people see the highlight reel people don't see me work until two three in the morning sleeping for two hours waking up at four to do it again and you know, all this different stuff but I, i'm a big believer in work hard play hard but uh i'm definitely north of 150 days a year for sure yeah how cool is that and to be in such a centralized location where you can just you know drive a couple hours in any direction and hunt a different type of game it just seems like just an awesome place it, it, honestly it is man it doesn't matter which way you leave the hebrew valley we have major reservoirs uh so just just the outdoor recreation opportunities that are here i mean I can I can hunt elk 10 minutes from my house and I can hunt grouse 10 minutes from my house. I can fly fish blue blue ribbon fisheries five minutes. I mean, I'll have a lunch break and just say, hey, I want to catch two fish on my lunch break. And once I catch my two fish, then I go back to work, you know, like I shoot geese down the down the street in my alfalfa fields. Like I walk down the street in muck boots with a shotgun over my shoulder and shoot birds and then I come back and go back to work. I'm laying in my ground blind, you know, answering emails and stuff awesome. like that. So, <laughs> I, I definitely make, I try to make the best of the, of the opportunities I've been blessed with. So there's definitely, I, I won't say it's 150 full days, but I'm definitely getting out and uh, hunting as much as I can, whether it's an hour here or two and sometimes big long trips, but I, tr I try to get out. Yeah, but how cool is that, that you can, you know, spend so much time, but you're also giving so much time back to the community, you know, by doing some of your fundraising and starting final rise and all those types of things. It's, it's just, it's pretty cool. I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, and that's honestly, you know, every, everything that I've been blessed to do in, in my business endeavors are just a reflection of my passions for the things that I love to do. And so it's been fun that those have just meshed together so cohesively. Um, you know, people always say, you know, do something you love and you never work a day in your life. I, I couldn't say that that's more true. I, I love what I do. I don't look at anything I do as work, and that's why it's easy to get up and get after it. Awesome. <clears throat> that's awesome. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to back off the envy train. So you, so I'm just, we're going to, we're going to go back. We're going to go back. I want to, I kind of want to work toward like the beginning of final rise. So your dad started bird hunting with you and your brother to spend time, yep. which is a great way to spend time together. There's no distractions, just you uh, together, your dogs, right? Hiking, that physical, something about doing something physical together outside, fresh air, you know, and then like, did your passion grow from that point on? Did you start to bird hunt a lot more um, up until, you know, high school through that? Like, how, do, how did that work? Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, any fire, the more, the more wood you throw on it, the brighter it's going to burn. Right. So, you know, I started exploring different things and obviously got into big game hunting and, you know, as, as a young, dumb teenager that didn't want to hang out with dad, you know, it was, that was really the only time I saw my dad, I, uh, unfortunately, um, being honest, you know, it was like during hunting season, that's when I'd spend time with my dad and we'd go elk hunt and we'd go deer hunt and do all those different things. And I mean, my dad's a freaking rock star. He's so allergic to deer and elk. Like 
you know, I'd shoot something and he would like put on like a hazmat suit to help me like drag stuff. Like my dad was just, he's the man. Um, but he was just willing to sacrifice to spend time with me anyway. So there, there was a time that I kind of deviated from bird hunting because I got so obsessed with big game hunting, uh, big mule deer. There's just something about big mule deer that, that that's still very near and dear to my heart. Um, but um, I, so I graduated high school. Uh, I went and served a mission for the church. And then I came back, I started going to school and um, actually was fortunate enough to get a job for Hoyt Archery. Uh, they're a manufacturer. If you're a bow hunter, you probably know who Hoyt is. Uh, they're in Salt Lake City. And uh, that kind of injected me into the outdoor space and just started opening a lot of doors. I worked there for about six years. Um, at Throughout that, I met um, a couple of the founders of a company called Mountain Ops, which is an outdoor nutrition company. They hired me away from Hoyt. Um, they were only a couple months old, and I figured if there was a chance to roll the dice and not and be able to screw up if it didn't go well, that was the time to do it. And uh, fortunately, we've grown and built that into a, a very successful company, and I actually still work there. Um, it's more of a more of a consulting role um, currently, but uh, still blessed to work there. Believe in who that company is and the missions that they have and the initiatives that they have. And I've learned a lot of really good things there that I've been able to mirror into into my own businesses as well. And so it's kind of become this, you know, final rise is this melting pot of all these wonderful experiences and relationships and this network that I've kind of been able to build together. And kind of one of the key components, rewinding back a little bit to my childhood, my parents owned an industrial sewing business. And so sewing for me was second nature. I, you know, in the basement of the house that I'm sitting in right now, there were tons of sewing machines and they were manufacturing soft goods. And so, you know, I was second to youngest. And so I'm attached to my mom's hip. My mom was constantly sewing. And so I would be down there tweaking on stuff. And so being a gear junkie and a hunter, I mean, from the time I got into big game hunting, I was sewing extra pockets on my backpack. I was changing the, the fit of my pants and my shirts, whatever I could get my hands on. And so it was just something I was kind of doing along the way. And it's just funny how all of that has kind of just come together and I'm able to, um, I guess, leverage or take advantage of just a lifetime of experiences and put that into something I'm passionate about. No, that's that's awesome. I think um, uh, I, was, I was I was reading some of your stuff too, and I was hoping we get to the the sewing piece. Are you? So did I assume you started off sewing like the initial initial vest for Final Rise, correct? Ab absolutely. And when I first did it, like I mean, I was still working at Mountain Ops, but uh, it was just something I always wanted to do. And I had a couple of my sewing machines still. Ironically, right, a grown man with sewing machines in his house, but. Uh, Anyways, I just, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make some. And so I just went and just bought a couple of yards of certain fabrics and stuff and just, just made a couple for me and a couple of my buddies. And, you know, we went out and hunted in them and it was fun. You know, we'd go hunt them and like, oh, we didn't like this. And so we just go back to my house, tear them apart, sew them back together and go hunt again the next day. So it was the R&D process was pretty expedited, right? Because it wasn't like a you know, some, sewing something overseas or whatever, you get a sample, it sucks, you got to send it back. And then you got to wait till after Chinese New Year and yada, yada, yada. It was just like this super expedited process. And we're like, 
man, we have a really cool product. And at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm still doing all my big game hunting stuff and I've had the opportunity to use a lot of really premium hunting packs. And so I'm looking at this big game space and coming from the big game space, I'm like, dude, like there's new bows every year. There's new backpacks every year. There's new pants every year, right? Like the, the gear fetish of the hunting space, just every year it's different. There's always something new and shiny, right? And then I look at, I look over at my beloved little upland space and it's just stagnant. It was pretty stale. You know, there wasn't a lot of innovation. There weren't people that were, um, I mean, there were some great companies making some incredible products, but it was just kind of stale. Like it wasn't being stimulated. Nobody had come in and disrupted that. And me being kind of my entrepreneurial self and having the experiences and digital marketing background, web dev, paid advertising, all those different things. I'm like, man, I've got all these different skill sets. What if I just tried to take these vests into market and my honest ambitions out the gate, I was like, you know what, if I could sell a handful of these, I wanted to sell 25 of them a year. And if I could sell 25 of them, I could afford an out of state elk tag or deer tag in, you know, Idaho, Colorado, New Mexico, whatever. And then just have a couple tax write-offs, right? Because I had a full-time job. I was, I was managing an entire creative team. I was responsible for a handful of different things and a company that was still growing explosively. And so there was options to, you know, have it, have it be something full-time, but I just leaned into the things that I knew how to do and it, uh, it caught legs. So <laughs> that's no, it's awesome. And I think like you mentioned the lack of innovation in the Upland space, it's funny. We are we, we ran through our waterfowl gear. We talked about what we have, what we don't have, or what we, how much money we've spent on it. We got to the Upland side and it's like the amount of money, the quality of gear that, that we have, not, not me personally, but Jeff and Matt have on the, on the waterfowl side is exponentially better. And we've spent exponentially more there than we have on the Upland side. It's like, Oh, I've got uh you know, a pair of, uh, upland brush pants that I've had since I was 15 years old. Yeah. You know, I'm still, still using them, you know, like yeah. it's, 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 you know, it's wild. They're heavy. Um, you know, if you have to step up high on something, you're going to get hinged. It's, they're not very comfortable, but they work. <laughs> and I just kind of keep wearing them, you know, yeah. but you know, if I'm, you know, if, if Jeff is going to, Jeff or Matt are going to take me out in their, in their, their duck boats and it's a rainy day, I'm not going to be equipped for that. So after I get soaked to the bone and and freeze, I'm probably going to go spend a whole bunch of money on some really nice <laughs> camo, right? But instead yeah. I just gut it out in the upland space. And so it's that's it's really interesting. You mentioned that because I like I I see I see what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. And you know, you you talk about where you're at and your and your experience as as a hunter in a different category, right? And I think, you know, prior to recording, right, we're talking about this evolution that people go on as consumers, right? A lot of people forget that, yeah, I have my own business, but I'm also a consumer of many, many other companies and products, right? Like I'm still a consumer. Um, but I always think about, you know, that customer journey. And if I think back to what I was talking about earlier, you know, I bought what I was able to afford as a young man and I would customize it and tweak it. And as I grew and matured and, you know, became more financially stable or became more passionate about something, it was easier for me to justify spending that money there. And so it's like, it's so important that all those tiers of products exist, right? Because a lot of that stuff, the, the end level product 
has to exist for somebody to get into it, right? And as they become more passionate about it, as they start understanding how things value, they start understanding lightweight gear, more comfortable gear. If they keep pursuing that, it's it's easier for me to justify spending that money here because it's a buy once, cry once. This is something that's going to last me you know, a lifetime. And if this is something I really want to do, why, why wouldn't I want the best? Right. And so where I've been on that customer journey, I, I appreciate and value all those other companies and the people that have put their necks out there to create a product that fills that void, because we, we all have to work together, right? The ultimate goal is, as a business community, if you will, it's like, we want people to enjoy upland hunting, right? And so we all have to kind of play at those different levels and complement one another. And, you know, people say competitors, but at the end of the day, it's like, dude, I'm rooting for everybody out there. There's tons of awesome gear and I want everybody to have all the success in the world. I'm just going to do what I know. And the people that are at that point in that process or, or see value in what we're doing, then we're ready for them. Right. But if they aren't there yet, dude, I'm rooting for you. I hope you become passionate about it. I hope you get an awesome dog and you're stoked about that dog. And that dog takes you on the adventure of a lifetime and you want to pursue that. So it's just important that all of that exists together. No, I haven't ever thought of it like that, but that is your, your spot on. Um, And I'm going to try not to nerd out on this and and take the conversation in a different direction because that (laughs) I haven't thought about it like that. But it makes total sense right? you get like just like you have hunters who are at different levels and who have different goals and um, what they want to accomplish. uh, You know, we have we have have to have different gear to fit all those different needs Um, so that we have, you know, we make things, you know, we 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 take the barrier to entry away, right? If it costs insane amounts of money to get started in hunting, that's that precludes people from getting started in hunting and that's a that's a serious issue yep. in the community yeah absolutely there's 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 a staircase to climb and there's a there's a spot for everybody on every step yes absolutely okay all right uh matt jeff um i've taken us a little bit off the rails here um with do you guys have any follow-ups to that or or where to where where was i heading with this Matt? Oh, I, okay. Okay. All right. Let me try to, let me try to get this back out, back on the rails here. All right. So, um, you started, you started sewing the vest. You hope to sell 25 your first year. How many yeah. did you end up selling? A lot more. <laughs> did, did you sew all, did you sew every single one of them? So the first couple hundred, I actually sewed entirely myself. Okay. And at that point it was like, Holy crap, this is stressing me out. <laughs> I think like my my wife didn't even know how to sew. And so I picked up a couple other sewing machines and my wife started sewing with me. And um, then I started scrambling and uh, actually found a couple contract sources. The cool thing about Utah, uh, predominantly very um, LDS Mormon type community, right? In Utah in its entirety. And there's there's some old souls, if you will, you know, home ec is still a thing in our high schools. And so people know how to bake and sew and cook and do all that stuff. Um, and so there's, there's a great community of, of people that like to sew a lot of home sewers and stuff like that. And so um, definitely leverage that, that, uh, that network, if you will, and started just subsidizing different pieces of, of the best and, you know, 
water bottle holders. I'd have them sewn here and help with the shoulder harnesses. I have, I mean, we were still obviously sewing the majority of it ourselves, but started to start getting a little bit of help there. Um, and then kind of just grew it from there. And we still, we still have contract sewers as well. Um, I just acquired actually a soft good manufacturer here in the state of Utah. And so there, that'll kind of allow us to pour some additional gas into maybe some new channels and some new uh, categories here in the near future. But, uh, my one, I mean, truth, I love bird hunting. I love upland hunting. I love hunting in general, but I do have a, a, a passion for manufacturing and I have a passion for innovation and design. And so, um, you know, final rise is the meat and potatoes, but it's kind of a kind of tip of the spear for the, the bigger, the bigger picture that I, I can kind of see in my head. <laughs> yeah. All right. I've got, I have questions for after we stop the recording here. So many questions. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, no, that, that, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, how long, how long did you, uh, did you, did you essentially work full time at Mountain Ops and have final rise, you know, growing on the side as well? Like how long did you, did you keep that, you know, lack of sleep going? Um, probably two and a half years. It was about two and a half years for in the candle at, at both ends. So it was a lot. <laughs> I take you didn't hunt quite as much then as you do now. Yeah, there there was definitely it was definitely a, a give up to go up type thing, you know. But I was it was yeah. I, I still hunted planning. Like I said, I'm fortunate. I've got stuff readily accessible. You know, I, I can sneak out for a morning or I can run away, but it was, it was definitely stressful. It was super hard to get away. You know, I, I've, I'm, I'm always playing the point game for how to stay hunting. And it was like, you draw a tag and I do a lot of backpack hunting. I'm like, dude, I can't be gone for five days. Like I'm customer service. I got to answer the phone. I got to be coordinating, you know, what's being sewn in our shop and make sure things are moving in another shop. And like, you, you're kind of the glue of that. Right. And it was, it was, it was tough. It was, it was super, super tough, but I just kept showing up just every day to show up. So awesome. Well, in the backpacking piece, I mean, that's, that's kind of how you, you started innovating the vest, right? You started bringing a lot of those things that you were finding while you were backpacking and a lot of that technology and bringing it yep. into your vest, correct? That, that That's absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, it's like, you look at the fundamental design concepts of the backpack and how that's supposed to be loaded. Like there's really an in-depth process and understanding that a lot of that can only really happen through experience and, and time spent in the field. Right. And so I'm looking at, you know, design principles and backpacks, and then I'm looking to a lot of the strap vests or the simplified vests that are out there. I'm like, why isn't this over here? Right. And how do how do you infuse that right? The, the fabrics, the components, like the the textile space is is pretty innovative. There is constantly new fabrics and new just concepts in general that are constantly happening. And like Tyler and I were talking about, like that upland market was just stale. Like there were really kind of two two top dogs in that space, right? That were kind of on tops of those thrones and. Nobody, nobody was challenging that. Nobody was coming in to say, hey, you could actually do it this way or you could try it that way. And 
it was just kind of in park. Like what was available was what was available. And there was enough demand in that community for those guys that they were just, they were doing wonderful. And both of those companies still exist and I hope they're doing great. Um, but yeah, no, nobody was, there was just innovation and experience in other realms. And that's where I feel like I've been super fortunate is I do everything. I'm not just a bird hunter, right? So I have experience in a lot of different things and those experience and those understandings, I feel like you're able to leverage that and bring that into another space. And again, backpacking, big game hunting, like you put, you put 130 pounds on your, on your back, you learn a lot. You learn a lot how a backpack is supposed to wear and where you're supposed to put stuff. And it's like, man, I can take that experience and now infuse that into an upland pack to make that essentially foolproof that no matter how somebody loads one of our packs, it can't be uncomfortable. They can't screw it up. Like I can, I can protect that experience that that person's going to have just by how I've designed it. And fortunately it's worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I have, I have back issues, which we've talked a, a bit about on this podcast. It seems like it almost comes up every episode, but you know, you're backpacking for big game and you're, like you said, 130 pounds on your back, you know, and, and you can do it without hurting yourself. You know, why can you not, have a vest that you can carry, you know, three pheasants in or a handful of chucker, like, why would that type of vest hurt my back? Right? I mean, right. It just, it, you just filled that need, you know, and it was really necessary because those old, just standard vests, you know, I would walk around with those and I'd have to stop at the truck and unload birds because my back would hurt. You know, it's just it wasn't yeah. distributing the weight the way it needed to. Right. It, it didn't have the opportunity in general to, to even necessarily be user friendly, right? Like a lot of these old, uh, just kind of put on vests, front zip vests, whatever you want to call them. Like, I mean, half the time you got to do some special yoga move to load a bird in your own vest. Like you're calling somebody across the field. It's like, dude, I, I can barely put my hands between my shoulder blades, let alone put a freaking pheasant back there. So it's like all those little things like, why not, why not build a game bag that sits low enough, but also has some light framing to it. So like, basically I tell people, if you can scratch your own butt and I don't know many dudes that can't scratch their own butt, you can put a bird in our vest. And so even for a lot of the older guys, even that don't have great shoulder mobility, right? So thinking beyond just how I hunt, I'm, I'm, I'm a young, fairly healthy guy, right? I like getting after it, but it's like, Hey, what other problems can I solve? And you can only solve problems that you've personally experienced, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where that field experience has come in. And you're right. What, what, why, why, why does my neck or my shoulders hurt when I get back to the truck? Like all those different things. And you don't even think about them, right? But then t- to me, it was a no-brainer what we've done. But to some people, it's like, aha, like I can't believe no one thought of that. And I can't believe it either, but I'm, I'm lucky that we did. <laughs> No, and that's the, like, um, you know, looking at your product and like the, the lumbar support, like that's the big thing I've had. I have not had my back go out while hunting like Jeff has when usually when I'm hunting with him. Um, it's because you we make ta- me go into all the thick cover. Yeah, you know? I know, right? We talk about this on every episode because we have to give you flack, Jeff. It's just how it works. Um, but I, But I've had back issues though too. And so like that looking at the way that your your vest design with that lumbar support is mighty enticing because while I am in my mid 30s like I'm not getting younger right I'm only going to have more physical ailments and I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself 
Uh, that, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's awesome. Um, and it's cool. And I'm, I, it's been cool to see, um, you know, how the Upland space has started to innovate though, too. Right. I mean, it's like, there's like, you're, you're helping to push it along and it's awesome. I can't wait to see what's, what's coming next. Well, the, the old saying, rising tides lift all ships, right? Mm -hmm. There's everybody can benefit from it. You just gotta, you just gotta be willing to be a part of the party. You just gotta be willing to dance a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. So that kind of leads into a, a good segue for give us your best elevator pitch as to somebody that's in the market for a vest, um, maybe is a little bit weary on spending, you know, a good amount of money on it. What yeah. would you say to that person? What, why should they look at a final rise vest? Yeah. So, I mean, for a hunter in general or somebody that, you know, enjoys any other type of hunting, right? Like if somebody's passionate about bird hunting, I think about a lot of times like my backpack, right? I, I backpack hunt quite a bit, but my backpacks are a huge and a financial investment right now i'm spending nearly a thousand dollars on this backpacking kit right that i'm maybe going to spend 14 days a year in maybe right Mm -hmm. flip side of that i'm going to upland hunt 100 plus days a year why would i not this want the same quality the same comfort in a product that i'm going to use more why would I want that just as good as that pack that I'm spending a fraction of the time in, right? And I I always say like nobody makes better gear than people that are specialized in their field, right? Like if you drive uh, a Cummins, you're not going to go to the Honda dealer to have them work on your truck, right? So it's like if you're passionate about bird hunting, why are you buying a vest from somebody that has no experience in the field? And I'm not I'm not saying that to like pat myself on the back and say I I know everything because I do not. But our products are simply a reflection of our passion and our experience from a lifetime of bird hunting. I've hunted all over all over the United States. There's most species I've had an opportunity to hunt and be successful at, and this is just a reflection of everything I've learned along that way. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you talked about that vertical progression into gear, but there's also a horizontal shift too. You know, if you're in the waterfowl space and you understand the importance of a high quality product, like, you know, buying Sitka or, you know, one of the big players, you you understand that that extra investment is worthwhile. You know, you get into the upland space and you know that if you spend the money, it's going to be a quality product that's going to last you a long time and it's going to do what it's designed to do right it's it's the buy once cry once right it's like ultimately if this is something you're passionate about and we're kind of at that upper progression right that we were kind of talking about in this customer journey and i totally recognize that now we have here some of our products to make those more accessible at maybe that middle middle of the road part of the journey to give people the opportunity to grow into other parts of our product lines but like i'm 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 kind of at maybe the end of my my experience because I'm super passionate about it, right? Like I feel like, hey, I'm up here, like I'm dedicated to what upland hunting is. I want the best because I'm just bonkers about it. This is what I live. This is what I breathe. Um, but you're right. It's it's buy once, cry once. If you get a piece of gear, you know, Tyler's talking about a pair of pants that's lasted 15 years. You know, it's like why if why not buy a pack that's comfortable and have that last you forever like i always use the analogy of boots that was kind of like my my aha moment for me when i started making an investment in my hunting gear 
um, you know, people were buying, you know, I was spending, you know, $125, $150 on a set of boots, right? And they were great boots. They were comfortable, but I'd go through a pair of boots every year. I was hunting so much that I'm blowing these boots out. And so finally, I'm like, man, you know, I'm going to spend three, $400 on a pair of boots, but I got two extra years beyond that. So it's like the boot paid for itself. And then I got multiple years. So I get five years out of a pair of boots, you know, for example, that's easy math right now. I've just saved money in the long run because I was willing to make the front end investment and invest in a piece of gear. Now I don't have to break in a pair of boots every single season. Like all those different things, like I'm saving on time, I'm saving on pain, I'm saving on blisters, all that different stuff, right? Because I've invested in something. Now I know it's gonna, it, it, it really, it's, it's an investment, right? When people say investment, it is, but investments pay off long-term, not in the right. short. Right, no, I, I completely agree. Um, so what would you say, what would you say are the key features of your vests that make you stand out from other companies, these other big players that are out there? Yeah, um, Tyler touched on one of them initially, and that is that lumbar pad and that padded waist belt. And that is, that is very much drawn specifically from backpacking in general, right? Like if you think of a strap vest, conceptually, it's a fanny pack. It really is. At the end of the day, it's it's really a fanny pack, right? And so at the core of that, because that is the foundation, that waist belt, it has to be dialed in. So your lumbar pads, obviously giving you lower back support, but it's also, it, it's building it from the ground up, right? So if you've got the lumbar support, if you're able to stabilize and carry that weight and be able to distribute it comfortably, that allows a couple of things to happen here. The first off is you look to a shoulder harness, right? A lot of um, maybe competitor products out there use some type of padding in their shoulder harness. If you shoot a shotgun a lot, even even you waterfellers, right? What happens is you progress throughout the season. It gets later. You start putting on more and more coats, and all of a sudden your gun doesn't fit, right? You go to sit up out of the mm -hmm. ground blind, and you may be changing shims. You may be shortening your stock as the season progresses, and your layers get thicker. Padding is going to impact the way that you're able to mount a gun. So if I don't need padding because I have a good comfortable waist belt, now I've got a super consistent gun mount. It doesn't matter if I go practice and shoot thousands of clays all summer. I can pick up, I can put on a vest and that's not going to change anything. I'm a huge believer. You miss the mount, you miss the bird. And so those, those are two kind of, uh, I would say hallmark design aspects of our systems. We use the same waist belt and the same shoulder harness on all of our vest models. Now our vest models will fluctuate based on, you know, a hunter specific needs. But, um, you know, early on, I shot a video on Instagram and you'd have to scroll almost to the very, very bottom. You know, I, before I even turned the page live, I kind of started documenting stuff and kind of started like, just kind of sharing where like my head was at and like what I was doing. And it's like, if it didn't turn anything into anything, it was almost like a personal journal, right? But I, I took my dad, uh, my dad's a little bit older now, so he doesn't follow me around and try to chase Chucker. He would die. There's no doubt my dad broke <laughs> trying to chase Chucker. And so we there, there's a couple put and take places here. And so for his birthday, I took him out to one of the clubs and, you know, you, sh you shoot a bunch of pheasants or whatever. And uh, the video was kind of more than anything to demonstrate the importance of the waist belt and how comfortable and how that should hold the weight. And in the video, I load like seven or eight pheasants into the game bag. And then I take off the shoulder harness and I just stand there and the game bag just stays perfectly put. 
right? Because of that waist belt, because it has more surface contact, because of the bat wing shape, because of that lumbar support, I'm providing additional surface contact, basically from the points of my hips all the way around the back. I can't get that sag. I can't get that droop. You know, I tell guys, it's like, take off your leather belt, right? If anybody wears a belt, take off your belt and hold it out. Right at the top of your butt rack, there's always going to be a V. And that's because it can't get tight to your back. Your pants are trying to sag right there. A lumbar pad is now filling that gap right at the top of our back, that little small of our back that's giving us that surface contact. It doesn't give the vest a chance to sag. And again, from ground up, now I can get away with very minimal shoulder harness. I can get away with a handful of different things, but those are kind of the two hallmark uh, design aspects of our vest. There's a handful of other things, a lot of built-in organization, weight distribution, uh, modularity. You know, you look at a lot of... Uh, a handful of the vests that were in the space when we first came into it on the back of the game bag they put these big giant pockets right so where you'd have you where you'd stuff your birds but there's this big pocket well what are you going to put in a big pocket big stuff big stuff weighs a lot that is the worst place to put stuff if you have a backpacking background right it's like the further away from your core or your hips that weight is the more uncomfortable it's going to be. So it's like, if I'm putting a giant coat at the back here, that's pulling on my shoulder harness. So you think about like neck fatigue and how my neck hurts at the end of the day. It's like when you're loading a backpack, you're putting your tent in the bottom, you're putting your sleeping bag, you're compounding that up and you're putting the heaviest things in your pack right at the very small of your back, right, right above your bum crack, essentially. Right. And it, the way that it, it, it allows it to put it above your waist belt, above the lumbar pad and now there's structural support now i'm more in vertical alignment that that waist belt can actually hold that weight but the further away and i know people can't see my hands i'm like doing charades over here for anybody else but it's like the further away that is and the lower that is below my waistline the more that pulls the more discomfort that creates so we eliminated that pocket we created a modular option it's like we moved those pockets up we made sure to the point that i made earlier it doesn't matter how you load our vest kind of foolproof you can't load it wrong to where it's uncomfortable the main big pockets are close to the small of your back right where a bladder is going to sit where the water bottles are going to sit we're loading it on your hips we're keeping that pressure off your shoulder harness and we're providing a platform that anybody can kind of plug and play to turn into what accommodates their needs because anybody who's a gear junker junkie anybody who's a hunter we all kind of have our way of doing stuff and we don't want to necessarily be forced into one way of doing things so my goal was to design a platform that checked the major boxes was functional was comfortable was durable would last a long time but also gave people the ability to be flexible and how they configured that for their specific upland hunting needs right like i'm a chucker hunter i'm gonna go hunt all day i'm gonna run two or three dogs at a time my buddies are gonna have multiple dogs I gotta have first aid, I gotta have food, I gotta have water, I gotta have this whole like, way more stuff. People are like, are you gonna hike Everest in that thing? And, but like, but then you got somebody who may just be hunting smaller parcels. They may be a pheasant or a quail hunter and they're just doing big loops and they're able to come back to the truck on a regular basis. It's like, okay, well, you don't need this vest, you need this vest. Why pay for those features when you don't need them here? So again, creating those tiers of those products that I talked about earlier, depending on where somebody's at in that customer journey, yeah, you don't you don't have to spend three hundred dollars on our pinnacle vest. You can start out at the two hundred dollar mark. Like, you, it's competitive in you know the 
the space where a, a lot of maybe the overseas products are sourced for some of these bigger companies. I won't name them, but it's like we have a product in every single one of those categories. It's an American made. It's an American source product and it's built from experience. So I went off on a long tangent there. Uh, that maybe wasn't an elevator pitch at any any means. Hopefully, we're going to like the twentieth floor there. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> that's in the Sears Tower elevator there. <laughs> but that's awesome, man. It it really seems like everything is so intentional. You know, all your everything that you did in your design has has a reason, right? And it's something that you experienced firsthand and made the adjustments to resolve that problem. You know, the big thing I think for me was that you mentioned the shoulder harness, you know, having that be really thin and not get in the way of your mount. That was the biggest differentiator for me. I think when I was nerding out on all these tactical vests last year, you know, trying to figure out which one that I wanted, you know, I had read some reviews and I almost avoided a tactical vest because I had read some reviews about gun mount issues, you know, and those shoulder pads getting in the way. And I, I didn't want that, right? And that was one of the main things that you had promoted with your product, that that was, you know, a non-issue. Um, and that was, that was one of the, the key things for me, I think, to, to go with the final rise vest. And I have the summit vest for everybody listening. Yeah. It's, it's those little things, right? Like, dude, I don't hike five miles to walk in on a dog pointing chucker to have him jump up and me miss him because my freaking vest got in the way. Like, Right. You want to tick me off like that's, <laughs> but those are, right. those are things that come from experience, right? Like if I'm a designer, a product designer, right? Like I've worked in the outdoor space 15, almost 15 years now. Like I, like a lot of people would be very surprised to know that there's a lot of hunting companies that have non-hunters designing their gear. Like that's just, that's an honest truth that exists in the space. Um, but you know, a, a person is going to look at a backpack and be like, oh, well, backpacks have padded shoulder harness and this kind of looks like a backpack, right? So why wouldn't I put padding in the shoulder harness? Like that must make it more comfortable. And it's like, no, it's not. You're actually causing a problem instead of actually resolving something. So yeah, just, just little things like that. And not to continue my elevator pitch, but, uh, and then Jeff, I know you know this, but like, one of the things and innovation that we pioneered was the ability to carry an injured dog in the field. Um, you know, having packed animals meet specifically out of packs. I'm like, how is somebody not engineered a way or designed a way to be able to help our dogs? I think most people that are, you know, quote unquote bird guys are really dog guys, right? We, we love our dogs. I'm there for my dogs. I could care less about shooting birds anymore. For me, it has to happen a certain way. There's plenty of times I watch birds fly away. I'm like, eh, that wasn't what I wanted it. Like I, I have beef at my disposal. I shoot elk, I shoot deer. I don't need the meat. So what's another bird if it doesn't mean something in a certain way, but those dogs are so precious to me. Like they mean a lot to me. I, you put a lot of time into them. It's a huge investment. You know, you get people that are, are, are scuffing it, spending a couple hundred bucks on a vest, but They'll spend three, four thousand dollars on a broke dog, a couple thousand bucks on a shotgun. And it's like, that's great. But what happens if your dog goes down in the field where you're probably going to leave your shotgun? Now you got to carry your dog on your shoulders like backpacks should be able to carry stuff. And so that was one of the design features that we brought into that space. And honestly, guys, I can't tell you it's the most gratifying thing for me. It's like that's like 
the gold star I'll, I'll put on our, our, our paper here on our resume is like the amount of people that we have helped. And I can't like the other day, I just got an email from a guy. He's actually in South Africa. We sold best throughout the world. And he was at a hunt trial and they run a lot of like labs and golden retrievers and different stuff. It's just, it's different type of hunting there. Right. But this dog fell into this giant hole and he had the summit vest and he climbed down in that hole loaded the dog and they basically threw him a line and i mean just he's a south he's an afrikaans guy right so he's just built like a brick crap house and the dude just so he sends me a video i have the video I, eventually I'll, I'll 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 probably share some of that stuff but i have a lot of pictures of people that have carried their dogs out of the field and just people saying thank you and it's like dude there's nothing better than people being like dude this is why i bought your vest i never thought i was going to need it but i'm glad that i did i'm like we did something good like i, I want to do good with our business and if it's helping someone enjoy their dog a little bit more if that's all it is awesome that's uh that I, that's that's like super cool and i like i've done some guiding at like a like a local game farm in the past and things and guide with other people's dogs and i have had to carry i mean it it's a short walk but it's still 500 yards carrying not not even my own dog someone else's dog back to the truck right and it's like that was hard, you know? Um, so like, I know where, I know we're like at the at top of the empire state building right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down here. It's just, um, yeah. But it, it, it's people don't realize they're like, Oh, my dog's only 40 pounds. I mean, I, I run small short hairs. I, I, that's primarily the dogs dog breed that I run. I'm into short hairs and they're smaller dogs, but 40 pounds dead weight carrying it out right in the front. I mean, go pick up a 20 pound cinder block and tell me how long you can hold on to it. Like it's a bigger deal than people think. And mm -hmm. you're there, there, there just be, would be no worse feeling than just being helpless there with a dog that's gone, you know, hypoglycemic or been bit by a rattlesnake or what, or whatever that is, just stuff happens. Right. And that they would, they would just break my heart if I had to put a dog down on the field or something like that because I couldn't help it. So, right. Anyway, and it, it's, was... it's something that you don't expect. You know, people don't think about it. They need something like that until that type of event happens and they don't have it. Right. I mean, that's that's so important to to plan for the the worst case scenario. Yep, absolutely. And it, it it was it was such a simple thing to do. I mean, full, I I can't be like, oh yeah, we designed this whole new way. It was like, no, we just understood what needed to be done, and we designed a comfortable pack that could carry weight, and then we made a way that you could put a dog in it. Like mm -hmm. that, yeah, wasn't rocket science, but we did it. <laughs> and so, I see you're continuing you're continuing to innovate too with that system, right? With those G hooks, I think I saw that are available now. Makes it yeah, a lot yeah. easier to like clip that on and off. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So the G hooks were, it was just an easier way to be able to access that, that game bag a little bit easier. Uh, prior to that, we had, you know, it's a continuous loop system. So it's a one piece of webbing that feeds from um, the rear panel of the mesh panel feeds through the fabric panel through some basically plastic rectangles. Then that goes up that wraps to the shoulder harness. That's how we adjust the yoke of the vest. And that uh, that game bag is basically on a slip system. And the reason we did that is you got to think overall diameter of dogs fluctuate, right? Like a 50 pound short hair isn't the same as a 60 pound lab, right? And so having that on a slip system, it wasn't a confined fixed amount of room that a dog could fit. So it could accommodate that dog, but still slide down and hold it tightly. Now it did require that you had to unroute the webbing to be able to do that. But 
I would rather have a, something that works and is bulletproof than something that's quick and convenient and could potentially fail, right? I would rather take the time to be able to do it right. It may take 20 more seconds. It may take 30 more seconds to load the dog, but it does it the right way and you're on your way. You're going to get out of the field quicker. The G-hugs mm-hmm. were a no-brainer at that point. And it's a stream, it's a it's an inline thing. It was, it was one of those things that if somebody has a previous model vest, you can clip off those rectangles. You can buy the G hooks off our website and just use it on your existing vest. And it's like, it's a low, I mean, we, we sell them at basically our cost. It's like that, that's one of those things to me. I'm like, that's such an important feature of our vest. Why would I try to like shaft somebody? I'm like, Hey, you bought the previous model vest. Now you got to buy the new one. Ha ha ha. Like, like dude, you can just, you yeah. can $3 G hooks and, and make it work just as good. Cause that vest going to last you a lifetime anyway. So why not, why not make that available? Yeah, that, that's so cool that you're continuing to innovate and allowing people to modify their current vests and continue to upgrade without having to buy that new vest. You know, that's just something you don't see very often. That's really cool. Well, it's 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 value, right? It's like, you know, I understand people are making a financial investment, but it's like, how much value can we put into that product? And I mean, you've even seen us start branching into a lot of turkey hunting and there's other things that will come that will play with that. So it's like, hey, once someone gets into a finalized system, they have those fundamental, the waist belt and the harness, they have those core pieces. It's like, it's plug and play. We've got training systems. We've got all different sorts of things that we're even working on it's like once you get into that system then it becomes it's like i don't have to go buy a whole brand new vest now i can just buy odds and ends and get way more value out i can go fishing in my vest i can go turkey hunting my vest i can train in my vest i can upland hunt in my vest and it's all cohesive in one little system you make the investment once and you're there you've got quality gear for life in whatever else you want to do we were just talking about that in the, the last episode um I had mentioned that I used, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I used my vest to take out to my deer stand on opening morning of rifle season. I put my little buddy heater in the game bag. Heck I had yeah. a whole bunch of stuff that I was going to carry. I was like, I had my Upland stuff in the truck. It's like, here's the solution. I'm going to throw the heater in the game bag. I got my hands free for my rifle and my seat cushion. It was perfect. Yeah. Dude, I, I antelope hunt in my summit vest. Like it's such a lightweight run. I can have my water bottle holders. I can put, I can have some just small organizational pouches on my waist belt. I, it's super minimal. If I, if I shoot a buck or whatever, nine times out of 10 where we hunt antelope, there's just roads everywhere, right? So I can go grab the truck, drive around, drag it to it. Like we had a lot of tree stand, like saddle hunters wearing our sidekick vest. And just because it's super minimum, they could fit that over the top of, of their saddle and be sitting in the tree stand and be able to reach back, grab snacks, have other things and not have to reach to the tree and have a bunch of movement. They're just sitting there and they're ready to rock and roll. Like, dude, I've seen people trail hunt in them. I've people seen people pick up shed horns with them, like the, the full gambit. Like, yeah, we market it as the Upland vest, but it's really a utility system that's applicable in a lot of different ways. It's awesome. And Matt Jeske, I know you, you, you had a question at some point there. Yeah, I was going to ask that, that dog like carryout system. Is that uh, common across all vests? Then, like, is that a function on all the different vests, or is it only on the summit one? Uh, so, on all of our full size vests. Yep. So, Legacy, 
uh, Legacy Summit and Summit XT all have the ability to carry a dog. That's the only trade-off going into that sidekick, just because it is a more minimal kind of dove style sure. um, training system. Yeah, but all but all of our full-size vests have the ability to carry a dog. Like again, to the point of like, why make that a reason to try to you know quote unquote make more money? Why make someone jump from a Legacy to a summit and spend all that extra money. It's like, dude, it's, it's a, it's a plastic component, make that available. Because if, if there is somebody that is, if, if that's the level they're at, right, if that's the right product for them, they probably got a dog. They're probably loving the dog. They're early in that stage. It's like, shame on me if I don't take care of that person and that dog and that relationship as much as somebody that is willing to buy on the top end. Sure. it's awesome. It's um, I, I think you said it best because you're, Matt, you said earlier that, you know, people will scoff at spending like an extra hundred bucks on a vest, but they're willing to drop four or $5,000 on, on their dog. I mean, I've, I've, we spent $5,000 on an emergency surgery on my dog when he was two because yeah. he likes to eat underwear, right? And so, you know, he's 12 <laughs> hours from dying, right? You know, and so, you know, and then here I'm like, ah, you know, do I really want to spend, you know, $300 on a vest? And it's like, duh like i'm i'm spending i'm willing to drop thousands on my dog right you know just getting there you've got a couple hundred dollars in uh you know a kennel you know your collar system you've probably got a couple hundred you're a thousand dollars in two items just getting to the field haven't started yet yeah you know yep there you go good point man i I tell people all the time i mean if if i really start tearing out what's in my vest 90 percent of it is for my dogs 90% Mm -hmm. of that pack is just as much for that dog, more so for the dog than it is for me. If I wanted to go out and shoot birds, I could put five shells in the back of a pair of blue jeans and just hike around with a shotgun and just carry the birds in my hand. Right. But it's just like, no, I'm, I'm geared up to be able to support multiple dogs that I've curated a relationship with that I enjoy spending time with. I want to see those dogs be successful and I'm kitted up and ready to help make that happen and take care of them at the same time if something happens. All right. That's great. I'm, I'm, um, you got, you go. got a, okay. you got a I'm, customer here, Matt. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm sold. Um, okay. We've been talking for over an hour or two. So I think we should start to slowly kind of wind things down here, gentlemen. Um, before we, before we get into what we try to finish with, um, uh, Jeff, Matt, any any other questions on the, the system? Um, uh, you know what what the final variety vast, the different versions, anything like that. Anything that that you know, I might have monopolized the conversation where you guys wanted to pop in and ask some questions. Sure. I mean, talking about those shoulder straps and all the the weight on your waist. I mean, that was actually my complaint in the last podcast that hasn't aired yet. My vest, in particular, all the weight is on the shoulder straps. And especially in the early season, you know, we just talked about, you've got two water bottles, one for you, one for your dog. You've got your dog here. If you're at a game farm, especially, maybe you've got a bunch of birds in there. It all rides on my shoulder. And it's just the worst feeling when you're done. Your neck is tight. Your back is tight. It's terrible. So that's pretty awesome. So for me, if you're going to sell me on a vest, like what, what one am I looking at for a, so primarily a waterfall hunter, you know, when the river freezes or something, I'll, I'll go out on the weekends on public land, try to hit the game farm one, two, three times a year, what kind of vest am I looking at? You you can scale those multiple directions. I mean, ultimately, a a legacy probably sounds like it's 
more than enough for what you're doing. I mean, you've got the ability to carry multiple water bottles on there. It is the same waist belt. So if you did want to add actual water bottle carriers that come on the Summit and the Summit XT, there's room on the waist belt that you can do that. So you could carry up to four water bottles on there. You've got the large pouch in the back there. So first aid, snacks, different things like that. And then you've got those shell pouches. You got enough shells in there and you can throw some snacks in one of the other pockets, you know, really balance and distribute that way, have that stuff really accessible. And the game bags, the, the dimensions of the game bag don't change from the legacy to the summit to the summit XT. Those are all equal. It's okay. just built in organization and some of those other features. Like I, I, I do a lot of like jump shooting on the rivers and stuff like that. I actually do have a lab. So I have three short hairs and I still have a black lab because labs hold a, a dear place in my heart. And I don't think there's a happier creature on earth than a, than a lab. Um, and I still love going out and jump shooting the rivers with her. And I, I, I love wearing, I, I, I have a summit, right. But cause that's what I wear for my other hunting, but it's nice to be able to throw four or five mallards in the back there and just yeah. be able Walk the river. I, if I want to, if I wanted to take a couple decoys out, if I knew of a couple ponds, but I wanted to run a minimal setup, I could throw three or four floaters in the back there, hike out, have room to throw those out on the water, shoot birds, and still transport all my stuff back to the field. So, I mean, it's again, Jeff. You know, Jeff was talking about you know being able to transport a deer stand and stuff like that, but we got plenty of guys that love hunting waterfowl and are using our our vests for that exact purpose. That's awesome. Are you going to kind of explore in more camo patterns? I know you put the original Bottomlands one out, which I was super jealous about because that's probably my favorite camo pattern. Are you going to continue to kind of explore that area a little bit? Yeah, so we have both the new and the old mossy oak patterns. I know kind of the, whatever they call the new Bottomlands is, is fairly popular in the waterfowl mm-hmm. space. Is it like... Cheney, is that how you say that, that like waiter, that company? Yeah, Cheney, Cheney, something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. E-N-Y-E or whatever it is. Anyway, yeah. I feel like Mossy Oak right now in the camo space is just disrupting it. I'm like incredibly surprised at what they're doing amidst the Kuyus and the Sitkas and the First Lights. Like, right. it's pretty cool to see those guys shaking it up. And it's just retro, right? You see you see how young kids are dressing and stuff like that. Not, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but yes, I mean, we have a couple different camel patterns in those mossy oaks. Uh, we have multi-cam and, and we do have access truly to any any waterfowl, primary waterfowl, you know, real tree-based or mossy oak-based that, that we could lean into. So, and there's a lot of guys that will just run like our ranger green colored vest because that's that's a fairly neutral color right like it's dark enough that it, it makes sense you know waterfowl hunting but if they want a turkey hunt it and is in it as well um it's dark enough that you know it's not throwing shadows or not throwing great contrast against a darker camel pattern if they're leaning up against a tree or something like that and it looks sharp in, in the upland field as well so that's probably the most neutral color that i see guys using but yeah i mean I think some... that's the I think that's the one I have. Is that this one here? Yes, yeah. I even got a show and tell. That, that's right there. Heck yeah, yeah, dude. Which is pretty cool, Matt, because I have this as well. So yes. it's a blaze orange attachment that you can put on the back. So when you're upland hunting, if you have some you know square inch requirements in whatever state you're in, you can just throw that on. And then for turkey hunting, I pop it off and we're good to go. Nailed it, man. You don't have to buy a whole new vest to have orange on it, right? It's just it's just right. plug and play with just those little features and opportunities. And again, it's just it's just injecting value into that system that allows you to use that for anything, really. 
Yeah, that's so cool. It is. It is. I'm um <clears throat> yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling good. All right. Uh any anything else, gentlemen? Man, I'm gonna go completely out of left field here. This is something that I wrote down. Tell me about your Jeep. Because I had, okay, I a little backstory here. In high school, I had a 98 Jeep Cherokee. And that oh, was man. probably one of my, the best, my favorite vehicle that I've ever owned. And I would do donuts and drift in that thing, in the snow, in empty parking lots. I swear, I thought I was Ken Block in high school. But that was the, <laughs> that was the, may he rest in peace. But that was the coolest vehicle. And I still wish I had that thing. It's it's I call it the uh, the war wagon. If war you guys wagon. are John Wayne fans at all, you know there's a handful. Of, I, I grew up on John Wayne. I've got a giant painting, custom painting of John Wayne in my hall right outside my office here. Uh, I call it the war wagon. And dude, I just I, I mean I grew up working on tractors and building tractors and farm equipment and stuff like that. And just that stuff is like therapeutic to me. And I mean, there's no better platform than any Jeep system, right? You just have infinite modularity. They're nuts and bolts. Parts are cheap. I love the XJ because I can fit two dog boxes side by side in the back. I can sleep in it. I mean, dude, it is like the ultimate hunting. <laughs> I'm taking that thing places that vehicles probably shouldn't go. I'm going there. It's all legal. I'm taking it where it's legal. I'm not going yeah. anything I shouldn't be, but dude, I, I, I mean, that's that's what I drive. That's my daily driver. I have, you know, big diesel trucks and gasser trucks and a couple other cars for other stuff that we do. But I drive the XJ, man. That's my baby. That's awesome. <laughs> what year is that thing? 97. 97. Okay. So, yeah, mine was a 98. <laughs> so, man, I missed that. I missed that thing. That's that's awesome. I look at those things on classifieds daily. Like, there's like, you know, like we all have like our like morning routines. You like wake up. It's like. Dude, I get on Facebook classifieds and that's like, I've got like alert notifications on like XJs and, and the Wranglers. And I'm like, I'm always looking to looking to buy one and just have an extra motor or something like that. Yeah, I love them, dude. That I'm glad cool. you did that. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. Uh, wow. Okay. Let's, um, we, we try to wrap things up. We're doing this thing. We're, we call it sky blasting. Um, we could call it mag dumping. We could call it since we're talking upland stuff, right? We're just letting mm -hmm. that third shot go. We have no hope of actually bringing down the bird, but we're just going to empty the empty the magazine anyway. So these are sort of off the cuff, random questions that we'll just finish up with. Okay. You know, first thing that comes to mind when we answer that when we ask the question, you just go ahead and spit it out. Okay. Whatever. Okay. Um, first one: Have you have you hunted in Wisconsin? I have not. Okay. We need to change that. Especially Please. for some some easterns, man. That's this is the state to be for some eastern turkeys. Abs, absolutely, dude. Yeah. Say when. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but we might be able to make that happen, right? <laughs> I got a family farm with a shit of turkeys. <laughs> I'll see you in the spring. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. What is your dream hunt? Oh, dream hunt for me. Um I guess there's there's a couple of them. Um, I've done most of my upland stuff. I've been able to hunt a handful of different places, uh, different countries and stuff like that, even for birds. But um, bucket list for me, first thing that comes to mind, a Sonora mule deer. Wow. 
in old, in old Mexico, a giant 200 plus inch, just chocolate brown desert buck with freaking chola sticking out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I would be on board for that as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so you grew up with labs, you run uh, GSPs now. What is your dog breed of choice? Yeah, G GSPs. I mean, I, uh, I, I definitely, I, I, I would like to try a setter. Um, I have a couple of buddies of setters that are really nice dogs, but I've just had really good luck with my short hairs. Just very natural dog, very naturally talented dogs, um, hardy dogs, and they, they've, they've, they've done a good job. So you know, you only get so many dogs in your life, and. Uh, I don't know if I'd have the heart to move a dog down the line, being honest. I know some guys that's just second nature. If a dog doesn't work out, you know, find somebody that it works for, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of committed to my pup. So I'll probably stay with my short hairs for the next little bit. No, my good. other two colleagues are lab guys, but I have a Vishla, so pretty close. Vishlas are awesome, dude. Yeah. I've seen, I, oh, I think they're such beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. For the, I think for the style of hunting that you're doing though, too, um, I think GSPs are are if you're chasing Chucker, that's that's going to be a really good fit stylistically, too. Absolutely, yeah. They're 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 big running dogs. I mean, they're seven eight hundred yard dogs. I mean, it's I see my dogs when they're on point, basically. Okay. <laughs> I, that was going to be my next question: is how far do you let them range? <laughs> as far as they want to go, I uh, I try not to reel any of my dogs in. I've got some that hunt a little bit closer, you know, two three hundred dogs and uh, two three hundred yard dogs, but it's it's fun to see the dogs depending on what we're hunting you know we start hunting hunting forest grouse and they turn into a 50 yard dog 50 75 yard dog um we go hunt sharp tail in montana up in canada different stuff like that it's big country and they just burn that stuff down dude i mean they're they they get after it and then chucker depending you know on where we're hunting the birds at depending on the time of the year if we're high or low you know if we get up in the cliffs and stuff like that you know they're usually two 200 yard dogs or whatnot but late season they start rolling down onto those sage flats and stuff like that and i've had dogs get a mile away from me before and had to go find them so dang okay uh okay uh let's see here uh so you're a john wayne fan but jason Bourne or james bond james bond okay oh all right <laughs> uh <laughs> uh what okay what is your favorite movie my favorite movie oh dude um probably a toss-up between the emperor's new groove and the grinch nice <laughs> i like it these are uh I, the, you're blowing me away here um <laughs> all right and the last last one that i have what what magazine publications are you currently reading I'm thinking more like outdoor space um i get the project upland magazine i get their hunting dog what do they call hunting dog confidential something like that um, and then, uh, what's the NWTF's magazine, the, whatever their, whatever their publication, oh, yeah. yep. yep. Something, a feather or something like that. Those yep. are, those are the two that I receive, uh, regularly that I'm actually subscribed to and the, Fe and Pheasants Forever as well. I get their publication also. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's it for my, I'm, I'm, I'm out of shells. I got two, I got two for you. One's serious and one's not so serious. All right, uh, turkeys or chucker? 
Shocker. Shocker for sure. Okay. All right. Sure. Here's the the non-serious one. Are you a Swifty, aka a Taylor Swift fan? How could you not be? I'm a nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My man. <laughs> I did. Perfect. <laughs> Oh yeah. Jeff, Jeff, for those that do not know, he likes a strong female country voice. He's yes, I do. Voice. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll put her on in the war wagon next time I'm in there for you, dude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Send me a video of that, please. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, yeah, that feels like a great way to end the show right there on Taylor Swift. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think, I think we'll, we'll wrap things up here. We're going to pause the recording here. If you've made it this far, Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you have not checked out the uh, Final Rise uh, system, any of their vests, any of their products, please do. Um, before I go, Matt, if someone wants to get a hold of you, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow you on social media and they're not now, how do they go ahead and do that? Yeah, so all of our Final Rise platforms, are we keep it simple. It's just at Final Rise, and then all my personal is under Matthew B. Davis. So I've got got both of those and would would – love to connect with you on any of those we've got youtube we've got the major socials and yeah we're having a lot of fun so would appreciate you following along perfect uh excellent um go ahead and check out check out matt check out final rise um if you got any questions you can shoot him shoot them to him and then i will look forward to you tuning in on the next episode <laughs>